there on the credenza, and uh, we'll hand those out uh, for our study tonight. So Galatians chapter 1. Anytime that we launch a new teaching series, I always love to start with the very foundation of the who's and the why's and the what's. And, uh, and so that's what I'd like to do tonight and then get right into chapter 1 uh, with verses 1 through 9. And so Richard's got them if you need anybody. Just over here uh, is Sonia Richard, if you can walk over on the other side. So back in November... Uh, Natalie and I had the opportunity with, I think, about four or five other couples. Uh, Ricky and Ariel were in the group, and uh, we were up in Jacksonville, and we were locked into a room together, and uh, we were surrounded by a lot of fun, different toys and trinkets that uh, we would have to flip over and dig into and paste and move and do different things in order to find different clues and answers to this process. And uh, we had one hour to escape this room as a group. Now, how many of you have ever done an escape room? Okay, a few of you have done an escape room before. And, um, and so we're figuring out all these clues together. And then we got to the 10-minute to the mark, and we were all a little nervous. Okay, we think we're making it. We we're working well as a team. There's some things that have to be maneuvered the right way. And, uh, you know, we're just a bunch of adults. We don't really know what to do. And so, uh, you know, some of the workers are kind of helping us, some of the college student workers. They're like, all right, you got to do this. Okay, good. And uh, so finally, as the timer is going down, we did the last thing, and you hear the door go click. And we're all like, woo, we are free. And we were so excited to accomplish this task. Now, was it a life or death situation? No. But in the moment of entertainment, in the moment of fun, it was exhilarating, it was intense, and a lot of adrenaline going on. So when you think about that sense of freedom, uh, there's a lot of things that help us in the thought process of freedom. Natalie and I were back a couple of years ago. We were on the back patio of our house, and we heard a little, a little ruffle, a little sound back behind the air con- by the air conditioner. And uh, so I said, well, let, let me go see what's going on. What is this noise that is taking place? It sounded like somebody was uh, swooshing through a bunch of uh, old leaves. And when I looked down on the ground by the air conditioning unit, there was, there was no leaves. And then I began to hear it again and realized that there was something trapped in our, our gutter that comes down off the roof and down into the ground. Um, and I thought, well, what in the world could that be? So we knew that in the area with a lot of oak trees on the other property behind us, We'd see a lot of squirrels running around, so we thought, oh, goodness, there is a squirrel trap in our gutter. If I just kind of tap on it, maybe he'll run back up, and I'm like, I am not putting my hand up there and getting my finger bit off by some rabia-infested squirrel, all right? And so I said, Natalie, here, you do it. No, we didn't do that, all right? So the macho man that I was, I decided that I would try to shake it a little bit. It didn't do anything. Well, to come to find out, there was a lot of dead leaves that had come through that had kind of put a packing there to the end. And so I would just gracefully, little by little, I would remove the leaves, hoping that this thing would not jump out and land on my face. And so I'm backing up every time until finally I got the area cleaned. He was probably just as nervous as I was. And then I would tap on it, and all of a sudden, out ran this squirrel to freedom. And no longer did his past mistakes and decisions cost him what was taking place in his life. He was now free. I was free to go back to what I wanted to do and not fear my life anymore. So when we think about this topic of freedom, we come to the book of Galatians because 
this topic of freedom, there is, is nothing so exhilarating as knowing that the past is forgotten and that the new options await for us with this sense of being free. The book of Galatians is like a charter to Christians on freedom. This book was written in such a way that is going to be helpful to the people of Galatia, this region, as Paul is going to proclaim the reality of our liberty that is found in Jesus Christ. This liberty which was given to us to have the freedom over the power of sin, this freedom from the law, and uh, in order for us to serve our Lord. So this kind of becomes the crux to why Paul is writing this with the main theme of of freedom. So we all know that Paul was a a church-planting missionary. So he would go into a community, he'd plant a church, set up this congregation, hand over the leadership to new elders, and he would move away from that region and travel on to new ones. In his travels, though, he would communicate back and forth to these churches that he had planted in order to be invested in their growth process. And so as he would receive letters back, he would send letters to, and just kind of interacting on the health of the ministry. So Paul now is getting word that there's some things that are very confusing going on in the churches, plural, in this region of Galatia, which is in in Asia Minor. And so he is going to now send this letter that is going to be very helpful to redirecting the thoughts. Now, most scholars would agree that this letter was written about A.D. 50, which would have then put about 15 to 20 years after Christ has already ascended back to heaven. So a lot of things are really fresh on people's mind. you got to think, remember, church really grew and blossomed in the city of Jerusalem. And there, the Jewish Christians were then taking the gospel to scattered about. That's what Jesus commissioned with the disciples, and he said to to take it. As he prepared to ascend, he said, take the gospel, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then take that gospel to all regions. And so what has happened now is the gospel has been taken to all regions, or at least it's spreading, and new Christians are coming about, not just in the Jewish world, but now in the Gentile world. And so a lot of Gentiles are getting saved. Now again, this is 15, 20 years after the ascension of Christ. So a lot of things are still fresh and new, and really still trying to grab a hold of what this true gospel is. So Paul finds out that there's some things that he wants to address. He addresses the social and racial divisions that are in the church. And the first Christians in Jerusalem, they were Jewish, but as the gospel spread, it got to the the Gentiles who didn't know anything or much about the law of Moses like the Jewish Christians did. And so when the Jewish Christians were expecting the Gentile Christians to act and function just like them, there became this social and racial conflict within the churches. So they taught that the Gentiles had to observe the dietary laws, the circumcision, in order to have full acceptance and to be completely, here's the key word, pleasing to God. So that was an interesting thought that the Gentiles are having a really hard time wrapping their mind around. Why do I have to function in this way that seems so Old Testament law, definitely apart from true gospel. So now we understand that the specific controversy seems very distant from from our day. We're, We're not in church cultures arguing about the dietary laws, the circumcision, and the Old Testament law, and abiding by everything that they, as the Jewish culture, were doing, functioning with. That's just not 
who we are today. So being distant from that, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the thought of how people would be so passionate about that uh, to the point where they would say it with great dogmatism and they would stand firm on it and they would not back away from that. So there's now this division in these new churches that have been planted and there's a different or a false gospel. There is a, a skewed, perverted, distorted gospel that is coming now into these churches. So we notice that this horse historical context of this book that we're going to study now on Wednesday nights for, for a little while, that the most obvious fact about the historical setting is often the one that is most overlooked, and that is that Paul wrote Galatians not to non-believers, but to Christians. And he was going to remind them of the power of the gospel and what true gospel is. Now, you know, if you've been here at Parkway for any amount of time, if you've gone through our Discover Parkway class or you've heard much of the preaching and teaching, that we make a priority of the gospel as a whole. Because we talk about the power of the gospel bringing us to a place of salvation and then that same power of the gospel bringing us to a place of growth, sanctification being apart from the world, becoming more like Jesus Christ. So when we look at a series like this through the book of Galatians, and it's entitled Plus Nothing, because that is crucial for us even today. So we're going to walk through these first nine verses. We're going to actually even give some little modern-day examples of twisted gospel so that we can realize that if we're not careful, we also begin to function and follow in a different gospel mindset instead of the true gospel. Now, none of us in here are saying that we need to obey the Old Testament law or that we need to go through the dietary um, system that the Jews had to, and, and, and nothing in comparison to what they were facing, but we are going to look and see how there are elements in today's thinking that can skew our mind and our way of pursuing holiness. So let's dig in to the passage, Galatians chapter 1, and let's just begin in verse number 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, and He that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So tonight we jump into these first nine verses, launching our series on plus nothing with looking at the unique gospel. Father, we want your guidance tonight for us to find truths that are applicable to our life today. I know that tomorrow we go in different directions with work and home and uh, hobbies, 
family, relationship, duties, tasks, and we, we need something tonight that would give us that, uh, that refuel, that encouragement. Uh, we have been certainly boosted by testimonies given by the church family. We have been encouraged to sing the songs and to lift up your name in praise. And so now tonight in these last moments together, we pause to open our hearts and minds to be instructed from above from your word. And so we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in your notes, right away, let's just dig into the very first thing, and that's going to be the author in these first five verses. That's Paul himself. His identity in verses 1 and 2 shows us that his identity is in Christ. You notice what he says here. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. So this first part of the letter is very similar in how he is going to write most of his letters. It was going to be in the culture day, and in that time, this would be how they would write their letters. But he's going to give us this authority by which he is writing. His authority would have been immediate, immediate divine authority. The immediate divine authority that he was coming off of or coming with was that he was called not by man, but by Jesus Christ himself, God the Father, to the position of apostleship. When you think about it, in Acts chapter 9, you would see this uh, unfolding with, um, with uh, Saul, who became Paul, and this was a calling on his life. Now today, man is put into those positions, yes, by God's calling, but commissioned and promoted by man. When I came to the ministry here, Pastor Richardson presented me as co-pastor, and uh, the church voted collectively to place me in that position with the intent of one day becoming lead pastor. That was a call by God, promoted by man, commissioned and approved by man. Paul had none of that. Paul had everything as divine immediate authority given by God, Acts chapter 9. So when he comes to the very beginning of this letter, he says, this is why I write you this letter. My apostleship is unique. It was not confirmed by man or congregation. It was commissioned and taught directly by Jesus Christ himself. If you want the reference for that, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And then we're going to see later in, in verses 8 and 9 that he was sent with a particular divine message. That particular divine message that he was sent with was the true, pure gospel. So this is the beginning of his identity. Then he continues in verse number 2. He was a part of the family of God. Notice he says that, and all the brethren which are with me. So this term brethren is one that I've actually been reading much about this past week. I'm in the middle of a book called When the Church Was a Family by Joseph Hellerman. It's a required book that I'm reading now for a um, class that I'm taking. Um, but what I'm learning in this book about this family of God is that when we look in the New Testament... The New Testament world would always put group as priority over the individual. Now, when you look through your New Testament, you begin to study that, even in some of the teachings that Jesus Christ gave. You remember some of the teachings that Jesus Christ gave that were just kind of like, mm, that kind of rubs me a little. That doesn't sound kind and gracious like Jesus should be, like how we're to hate our mother, our father, our spouse, our children, brother and sister in our pursuit for Jesus Christ. 
And then there's other relationships within the scripture all throughout the New Testament that show us this strong group mentality over the individualistic priority. And so Jesus even exemplified that himself in Philippians chapter 2. So he gave up his individual um, rights or his individual priority in order for the betterment or the best of the group, the strong group. That was Philippians chapter 2. So Paul here is identifying as a part of the family of God. He calls himself with the brethren and uh, is being identified in that way. And then in verse 3 and 4, we see his message. His message comes of grace and peace. Now, he gave a message of encouragement here in the beginning. And uh, boy, we just love the bearer of good news, don't we? We love it when people have good news to tell us. This afternoon, I was in the conference room. Michael Battle, our finance and children's guy, he came in and uh, he said, hey, as we were having a meeting, he said, when you're done, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this document. And I was like, oh, that looks like a lot of numbers on that document. Yeah, it's got a lot of numbers. I said, is it good news or bad news? And he said, well, it just kind of depends on what side of the situation you're on. And I said, you know what? I don't like you. Leave. All right. So, um, so we had that conversation, and, um, and still, I'll tell you, I don't like him. But we, we continue on. So we like to have people who want to be the bearer of the good news, and uh, we want the encouraging word. And so he's going to come in with encouraging word, and the ultimate umbrella of the Gospel of Galatians, the letter, I mean, the, not the Gospel, the letter of Galatians, is going to be encouragement as he confronts the faults and failures of the mindset of the Judaizers and these uh, religious Christians, uh, the Jewish Christians, who were missing the mark with the Gentile Christians. So as he gives this message of grace and peace, he also gives a message of reminders. Because in verse 3 and 4, he emphasizes that Christ has sacrificed in order to rescue, to deliver us. You know, when we think about this rescue, this deliverance, we have to come to grips with the fact that we are helpless and lost. We are helpless and is the rescue plan. And anybody who is too prideful to humble themselves and coming to grips with the fact that they are lost and in need will always miss the target of the true gospel in their life because they do not see a need for a savior and a Lord. So people will take a fire insurance policy all day long, but for them to call themselves a slave and servant to a new master sign up for, Lord becomes something completely different that they really don't want to sign up for. And you will notice that in a matter of days, if not weeks, and certainly played out in a pattern of lifetime where people said, yeah, I put my trust in Jesus Christ because I really don't want to go to hell, but their life shows no fruit, no evidence, no life change, no transformation. That is not an individual who has followed after Jesus as his Savior and ultimately as his Lord. So we are hopeless and lost. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus rescued us and gave himself for our sins in a substitutionary nature. So he said, I will step in on your account because you are hopeless. God the Father, you are without help unless I step in. And then God the Father looked on that sacrifice and gave that acceptance 
and how we know that God the Father accepted what Jesus Christ did on our behalf was that God raised Jesus Christ back from the grave. And so here we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three parts of the Trinity, equal parts, by the way. We don't look at the latter. We look at equal parts of the Trinity, play parts in the conversion fact, life. But we see that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. We celebrate that very fact. And God, the Father, gave the acceptance of that by bringing him back to life, saying, I stamp my approval. It is done. Redemption has been paid. And that gives testimony, as Sonia gave tonight, to say that those four chapters of Leviticus is, is history to us. That's not anything that we have ever experienced. Because Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law and kick it out. He said, I came in order to fulfill the law and stamp the approval that says redeemed. So that's what Paul is writing here in this very beginning stage of his message. Then verse, um, verse number 5, he says, there is, uh, there is uh, what does it say, to whom... Be glory forever and ever, pointing that back to the phrase right before that colon, the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. You know, there's no indi indication or any other motivation for Christ's mission except for him to do the will of God. That was the mission. He didn't come to do anything on his own. He did not come... Uh, because of our merit. He, he did not function in that way because we would one day deserve it. He came with only the mission to do the will of the Father. And so that is why the only one who gets glory forever is God. And that's what verse 5 is pointing to, to say. Christ was sacrificed on the cross. God accepted that sacrifice and brought him back from the dead. Where do you see that? Verse number 1. He said, in God the Father who raised him from the dead. Therefore, verse number five, this all builds up, not to Paul's glory of apostleship, not to the glory of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, but to the one who accepted that payment of redemption as a substitution for all mankind was God the Father who gets glory forever and ever. Okay, so that's Paul. Finds us here. A couple uh, reflection questions there. Paul's tone reminds us, that uh, the Christian faith is a matter of heart as well as our head, meaning our feelings, as well as our intellect. How does this encourage you and how does it challenge you? So think about that. Um, second question there is how would you explain the gospel to someone who asked you today what you believe? I think that's a really important question to think for a moment. You know, we all want to be that testimony ready to share with any man that asks us, hearing truly coming from gospel message as he builds into what this freedom is truly coming from. Okay, so let's look at number two as he's going to begin to address the problem. So somehow Paul knew that there was a problem in the region of Galatia with the many churches. And uh, they've got this same problem that false teachers are pushing, promoting this, this different gospel. And we're going to see this word in our text as another gospel, verse number six. 
So in verse number six, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Christ. Verse six, we see the problem was that people were deserting Christ. Paul was astonished. He was appalled that they had so soon moved away from the one who had called them unto grace. And unfortunately, this is happening today. Speaking with someone even today that it's a question of why are you leaving your first love, Jesus Christ? Why have you turned your back? Why are you struggling? Why do you want, why are you embracing a cold heart toward the things of God? And, and so this happens in Lakeland, is happening. It happened in Galatia. It happens in Lakeland. It happens in 2019. It's happened all through your lifetime. You could pop up and give story after story after story, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy of people who have deserted Christ. And unfortunately, some of those stories would even come from people who think that God has failed them or God has left them. But that's an individual who does not know the scriptures because it's never God leaving us. It's us turning our back on him and departing, leaving our first love. So this thought here, right away, Paul is addressing the problem. I am appalled. I marvel at this. I am, I am shocked. What is going on? He is writing to people that he probably led to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the true gospel message. And he is saying, churches, what is going on? They're deserting Christ. And then also letter B, we see this different gospel. This was a problem. Another gospel. Now, the biblical gospel of grace is a very precious thing. And I think we know that. And I think you grab a hold of that. The biblical gospel of grace is a very precious thing. So what Paul battled with in his day, by the way, is the same thing that Martin Luther battled with in his day, which is the very same thing that we are battling with in our day, is this thought of a different gospel. Now, before we stand and say, this different gospel, another gospel that we must be referring to is, um, is the, all the false religions out there. You remember a couple of years ago on Wednesday night, we did a series on... Um, I don't even remember the title of the series, but it was about false religions. And uh, we established our thought process and understood them and uh, looked at how Christianity is so, uh, so different from them. And it helped to establish why we believe what we believe. So that's not what Paul is addressing here. What he is addressing with man-made gospel. Remember? what the Jewish Christians were wanting to do with the Gentiles. They're saying, okay, if you're going to be a Christian now and you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to do A, B, C, and D, just like we're doing. And we're doing these because that's what our forefathers have done. And we have to do this in order to be, here's the word again, pleasing to God. So let's talk for a moment about this because I want to give you some, some examples that are happening even today. Now, Paul condemned any teaching that is not based on the fact that, number one, we are too sinful to contribute to our salvation. Okay? If anybody tries to say that we are not too sinful to contribute to our salvation, they're missing it. 
because we need a complete rescue. We don't do our part in the rescue plan. Now, salvation comes through faith. So there is a, a part and an element of our belief, but that belief is not a work. That belief is not an effort. And, and honestly, I even would say that that belief in God is a gift from God because he has drawn men to himself, opened our eyes, Holy Spirit's conviction. So that's what enables us to be able to have that faith, to be able to be rescued. It's if, if the rescue line is, is thrown out to you, you have done nothing. You have not done nothing on your part to make that rescue happen. So Paul is saying that we are to condemn any teaching that is not based on the fact that we are too sinful to contribute to our salvation. And number two, we are saved by belief in Jesus' work. That's the grace of Christ plus nothing else. So the examples today. In some churches, and I, I read some of these thoughts from a book that I'm studying uh, by Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. And he says, in some churches... It is indirectly or openly taught that you are saved through your surrender to Christ plus right beliefs and behavior. So all the stars line up. We, we want to share the gospel. We want to bring somebody. We would, even, we would even use phraseology that would say, surrender your life to Christ. We would even say terminology that says, accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Now, as I say some of these things, these are terminologies, terms that I have been prone to use and may will continue from time to time to use because in our way of thinking, we still wrap ourselves around ways that we have been taught and ingrained through time. Now, let me continue just to help us to see what I'm saying here. These are fairly typical statements that are used. People are challenged to give their life to Jesus or to ask him into their life. And that sounds very biblical, but it still can reject the grace first principle fairly easily because it's saying that if I am not willing to accept, if I'm not willing to surrender, this won't happen. Now, there's a fine line there that we want to be careful of. But we also see that this work of the rescuer, salvation is based so much on our part of salvation, then our Christian life becomes about performance and what we can accomplish in order to be, here's the word, pleasing to God. Now, there's a passage of scripture that talks about how we are to work out our salvation. And that working out our salvation is the process of growth. It is the sanctification process. It is not work out your salvation in order to be saved, but it is going to be the evidence, the faith in action. But have you ever noticed that sometimes we can find ourselves entrapped by this mindset that says, my salvation is based on behavior and pleasing to God. So here is where the gospel becomes skewed. Because we have put so much emphasis on our part of salvation instead of remembering that we are helpless and needful and we, are, we, are, we can do nothing on our own. So now this all begins to make sense. That it's not our, our performance for the Savior, 
but it's Christ's performance as the Savior. So it's not the level, but rather the object of our faith that saves us. Somebody say, I just don't know if I can believe enough. That's a level of belief. That's a level of faith. No, it's not the level of belief. It's not the level of faith, but rather the object of that faith. So if I'm trying to lead somebody to Christ, I say, you can believe. Just find it in you. Just convince yourself. Just come away. You know what I'm doing is I'm putting all of that on that individual to say, your eternal salvation is now on your hands. This is all about you. If you will just find it in yourself to believe, to trust, and have enough faith, then their Christian life is all going to be about the next level of belief, the next level of faith, and pleasing God in that way. So our faith is not about next level, it's about object. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Then the second one that we find in our modern day thinking is in other churches, it is taught that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are a loving and good person. Now, we know that this is a very liberal way of thinking. This is a mindset, though, that is rampant and it is happening. Natalie and I were in conversation with someone about they attended a church on South Florida in downtown. They attract a lot of people and uh, they attract a lot of people. And there was a lady who stood up in the pulpit and preached that day. And she said, everybody at the end of the service, let's all stand in a big circle. Let's go hand in hand. And you just say these words after me and we'll all walk out of here as brothers and sisters in Christ receiving his salvation today. That is another gospel. That is a different gospel that Paul is saying, wake up church, whoa, 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 beware. This is not biblical, pure gospel. So here's what happens with this mindset. Is they say that people, regardless of their religion or lack of one, they will find God. They say this sounds extremely openly minded on the surface, but it is actually being intolerant of grace. They would say that this is very open minded, that there are a lot of different ways. One local Baptist pastor here within central Florida has told one of our former church members that he doesn't believe that repentance is necessary for salvation. That's a pastor that hasn't studied the New Testament. That's a pastor who has not studied the early church of Acts. That is somebody that's missing the mark. That is another gospel. That is a different gospel. And there is a mindset in our culture today that church we have to be aware of and be careful of. Because the conversations in your workplace are being had. People want to have celebration of life, funeral services, and they want to talk their loved one into heaven by the songs they play and the poems they read and the heartfelt feelings they have. But I will not convince somebody that their person is in heaven unless they have followed true, biblical, pure gospel. And that's, that's just where we're at today. Now, that's not just today. Uh, Brother Richardson, pastoring for 36 years, he, he faced that. He, he faced churches all in our community that want to preach another gospel. Good people, yeah. Uh, good moral people involved in the community, yeah. Some of the biggest givers in the community, yes. 
People that probably try to have more victories in their life than failures over sin? Yes. But they're following another gospel, a different gospel. So Paul is going to address this. If good people can know God, then Jesus' death was not necessary. If we would say that apart from Christ's death, I can know God. I can grab a hold of him wherever I am. I can take him for what he's worth, and I can have him today, and I'll put him off tomorrow. If I can just be a fun individual, if I can be a loving individual, and that's where this message of tolerance has creeped into the church. And the purity of the church has now been flushed down the toilet because people say, well, in the spirit of tolerance, we will turn a blind eye to sin because Jesus is love. And so often the gospel is being distorted, letter C. Look at that, the distorting of the true gospel. Here's what, were hap- what was happening. The leaders of the Galatian churches had been perverting the gospel and causing the church members to completely desert it. This was happening by a process of change. Uh, they were purposely adding to the gospel. So they were making man-made versions of what salvation truly meant. So those who, were, um, those who troubled the, the Galatian believers with this different gospel, they were zealous Jewish Christians. And what and we call them Judaizers. And um, what was taking place is these individuals were wanting to require Old Testament practices to all believers. So if you are truly saved, like we are saved, you got to be circumcised, dietary laws, and, um, and you'd have to obey the Old Testament law. So they wanted to do sacrifices, and they wanted to do things uh, revolving around the Sabbath, and they would do a lot of these things that if you were to go to the, to the, the Jewish um, synagogue around Lake Hollingsworth and sit in that congregation on a given Saturday, some of the very things that they are practicing today by, by uh, proof from Dr. Al Reichman in the conversation we had, he said, those people are, are, are being duped by this Old Testament law and thinking that the Messiah has not come. And so here was this adding to the gospel. Now, Paul was going to address this issue in Jerusalem. Do you remember Acts chapter number 15? You've ever heard the term the Jerusalem Council? He was going to get the other apostles together, and he and Barnabas would travel to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15, they would sit, and they would hash this out, and they would talk through this purity of the true gospel. Now, remember... Many of the Galatian Christians were mainly Greek. They were not Jewish. So they really didn't even know the Jewish laws and customs. And so that's why Paul saw this issue to be of great urgency that he had to address in its proper context. And letter D, and we're done, is this destruction for those who proclaim a different gospel. Look how Paul wraps up this very first section, this introduction, because he says, but though we or an angel from heaven, if any of us preach another gospel unto you than that which we have preached already unto you? Because he says, you know, we've already given you true biblical gospel. He says, so if, if, if we or an angel from heaven, now again, which is another gospel unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul reemphasizes this. We know that if something is repeated, it's important. And since the one true gospel is so crucial, Paul will lay down with such strong language a plumb line 
and he is going to make this clear that we can judge all truth claims, whether they are external from writers, authors, preachers, whether they are from teachers or thinkers, and not only external but internal. And we're talking like that situation with our feelings, our experiences, or our sensations. And he says all of those external and internal things can be judged as truth based on this plumb line. He says it's either true, biblical, pure gospel, or it is a different, another gospel. So a different gospel brings condemnation. To alter the pure gospel is to play with eternal life and death. It also means very practically fear, anxiety, and guilt will always be attached to different gospels, even in this day and age. So now we can definitely see why Paul adopted such an intense and even severe language here at the beginning. So these things are worth fighting for. They are worth speaking out over. They are worth reminding ourselves and others of them over and over and over again. As a church body, we're united in that way. As a church body, we have a lot of different personal standards by which we are kind of governed in our individual priesthood of believers in our life. Your week is probably going to look a little different than my week, and some of the things that you do that is, is what you will stand before God and give an account with. But there are several things by which the essential doctrines of the Scriptures will teach us that we, in order to be the family of God, collectively must be unified around. And one of those, in chapter, uh, I mean in Philippians chapter 1 and 2, he says that the believers are going to be of one mind, of one heart, and it's going to be on one gospel, one Christ, one God. So church, tonight in our study of Galatians, we launch, in, launch into this and we ask ourselves here, how important is gospel truth to me? How important is it? How is this shown in your life? Now, the devil, the enemy, is going to use every tactic to skew the gospel. He's using religion, but he's also using culture. He is using our school systems, our educational systems, are having conversations about who God is or what God is, and it's always going to be steered in a wrong direction until we bring them to the facts of the true gospel. So which of the modern false gospel dangers could you or your church most easily fall for? I told us only about two. Uh, there was a third one that approaches with an extremely intolerant um, perspective on what the gospel is, and we'll discuss that later. So why will understanding the true gospel produce anger at false gospels? I think that's something that we need to come to grips with as individuals. I think you need to really ask yourself, would a different gospel, another gospel, cause me to be angry? Would, would I be affected by a way to know that there are people who are preaching and teaching easy believism? Say the quick prayer and we'll see you in heaven. Does it affect me if people are preaching and teaching another gospel that it's by the next level that I can pursue? Does it affect me in a way that I'm upset that there are people who are teaching and preaching a different gospel, another gospel that says uh, intolerance is the way, love is the way, and accepting to all, and we can all just kind of find our way to heaven sometime, someday. 
So that's something you have to meditate on, think about, and come to grips with, with God's help. So the unique gospel, uh, the book of Galatians, launches us into this plus nothing. I'm excited to dig in, study through this process. It'll take us several weeks, definitely a couple of months. But uh, we are recording them. We'll put them on podcasts. We've had several who are in discipleship who have asked us uh, to record Wednesday nights. And so if you want to pass this on or you'd like to use it again for yourself, uh, we'll have it on our website and through our podcast. God, thank you so much for the teaching from your word. May we be passionate as a church about the purity of the gospel. Thank you that uh, your son, Jesus Christ, as our rescuer, accomplished the full work. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for extending the free gift of salvation. Thank you for gifting us with the belief and the faith to trust in you. And so I thank you that today we celebrate as a church body the security of our salvation. And may we become passionate about that true gospel and realize that it is not plus something else. There is nothing that can be added to the rescue plan. The substitutionary nature by which Jesus Christ stepped in on our behalf is a completed work, and we're thankful for that. So, Lord, we ask that you'll bless the continuance of our study. May it help us, may it motivate us, and encourage us as it teaches us along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.